Moeller, and this is Anatomy of Change, a podcast series about the struggle and connection in making courageous change in the systems and structures that thread our lives. On this episode, After 18, Jen shares her 10-year journey in processing her shame and fears around her decision, mental illness, and identity. That's certainly not the end of the story, but it felt like it should be at the time. You know, I was like, okay, it's done. And for a long time, I treated it like, like it was just finished, and I didn't have to think about it or look at it anymore, and I didn't want to. I think my family thought that they were doing me a favor by not not bringing it up and not talking to me about it, like that they were giving me space. And instead, I think I really shoved it in a box in the back of my head and locked it and never processed any of it for a long time. Then when did you start to process? After the abortion and the years that I didn't think about it or look at it, or at least convinced myself that I wasn't thinking about it, right? I experienced a lot of other mental health crises. And, you know, again, looking back, I certainly asked myself the question that's like, if I had dealt with this more directly at the time, would I have been, you know, suicidal later? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not, but I was. And I... I can recognize now a lot of shame that I was carrying um, and a lot of guilt. And I wouldn't talk about it to therapists, like new therapists that I would have, um, because I would be worried that I would be judged. And, you know, you had really buried that. Yes, you had buried it. Yeah. And I was really scared of how people would react if they knew. When you talk about the shame and the judgment and the fear, are you shaming yourself because there's guilt that you had this abortion and you went through this process? Was it something other than the actual abortion? It was the, what was it to you? That's such a good question. Um, Thank you for asking that. I'm still trying to unpack some of it because it's not all clear. Shame is such a complicated emotion and um, knowing that it was a traumatic experience, it is hard to kind of like really piece it all together. I can say I learned, I don't know when, but somewhere along the way, I learned that there are abortions that are acceptable and there are abortions that aren't. And, and that's acceptable to people who are pro-choice, mm. even. And that my abortion, because it was in the second trimester and late in the second trimester, that my abortion just was not an acceptable one. I've really learned to be skeptical of politicians who say they're pro-choice because a lot of the time they say that and then in like on the debate stage they're saying like I I support abortion until the second trimester or until viability um, or until whatever 
and what they're saying, like the message that they're sending is like, until that date, it's okay. And after that, it's not anymore. And, and so that was where the shame was coming from. It wasn't even shame that I had an abortion. It was more... Shame of fitting in yeah. to society. Yeah, it was this message that I had gotten from even the people who were in my camp who were saying, wait a minute, like you, you had a bad one. Something about mm. your, something about your experience, we wouldn't support or stand for. And that was really hard for me because then it was like, okay, what does that say about me then? You know, I, I felt like I was a bad person for a really long time because I felt like I had done something that was like capital B bad, even though I knew and have never doubted that I made the right decision for myself. Wow. Yeah. I mean, Jen, I think this whole, I think you said the word earlier, this othering Mm -hmm. versus belonging. It was this feeling of othering and Anne also talked about purging, like this purging of some people fit, not all people fit. And you found yourself in this space where this group of pro-choice, even within that group, is saying, but except here, except you. Yeah. Yeah. And it really hurt to know that there was something about my experience that was reprehensible to people that I thought were my allies. You know, there was something about what I went through that they won't fight for or that they think isn't worth fighting for. I internalized that, you know, mm-hmm. I, I really, um, after having had an abortion, I started noticing more what other people say about abortion and whether they're politicians or friends, you know, um, people say things all the time without realizing that people who had abortions can hear them. Even if people who openly support things like gestational limits don't realize that this is the message that they're sending, at least to me, only certain people should be allowed to have abortions. Um, I was suicidal for a couple of years. Um, I had a hard time. I certainly couldn't have been a mother. (laughs) And anyway, so the messages that I that I was hearing that informed my shame. I think it was messages from the people around me, including politicians, that, as you put it, that that I like that were directly othering me, even if they didn't realize that that that's what they were doing. I learned from all of that that something about my experience made it bad, made me bad, and I carried that for a long time. Can I ask a question and you can tell me if you don't want to answer it? Yeah, sure. But I think it gets to the heart of, I feel you when you say mentally and physically and where you were as a person, as a human in that time and being pregnant, 
you couldn't imagine what your life would have been like and you were suicidal following and, and you've been processing this trauma and othering. Was any of that processing at any time, like you do not regret the decision. You knew that was right for you. Yeah. Did you ever have a processing of what would this baby have been? Because I can imagine the other side of the debate is how far along this pregnancy was. I had a summer job for a couple of years um, shortly after my abortion, where I was working with like kindergartners and preschool children. And I think the youngest children I was working with were three. And certainly I had thoughts if this was like two years after, I, I guess just like speculative um, or uh, hypothesizing, like what, what might this have looked like? Engaging with thoughts like that was definitely not healthy for me because it kind of fed into this self-flagellation that I was doing. If I'm thinking about like that being something that the quote unquote other side says or comes back with, I know now, like I, I'm able to talk about it now um, in some respect because I value myself and my life now. I'm able to say my life and me, my ability to live a mentally healthy, physically healthy life matters more than the potential life that was there. Like I, I'm able to, I'm able to really own that. My fiance and I, when we get married, we're going to have kids. I don't know if that, I don't know if I would have had kids if I had made a different decision. You know, like I might be bringing kids into the world who wouldn't have existed otherwise. And in that regard, like my future kids, the ones that I'm able to provide for and care for, their lives matter to me too. It's so interesting. Yeah, I, I want I want to be a mom. I really do. And getting to a point where I'm able to do that um, and I'm able to provide for a family and really like raise my children, that required that I went through the things that I did before I got here. That includes the abortion that I had. Oh, Jen. I really, I think for a long time, I had a hard time processing it because I felt like my life wasn't, like I didn't really have a future for any number of reasons, not just because of the abortion. Now that I'm healthier and I can actually see the whole picture as an 18 year old, I, I was still a baby, you know? Um, and I think being able to see all of it now and see the future that I get to have now because I had an abortion, that really makes it, it makes it a lot clearer for me. So years later, in 2018, I went to an eating disorder treatment facility again. It was a different one. You know, that, that wound hadn't healed. 
And while I was there was when um, it was first suggested to me that like this had been a traumatic experience, the abortion for me. And that maybe working through it um, would be like helpful Mm -hmm. for my health. Um, And so I started to work through it um, with a therapist that was tremendously Mm -hmm. helpful. Um, But I can remember, I can remember wanting at that point to talk about it more and recognizing even a couple of years ago that telling my story was going to be really important to me healing because I was so afraid of telling it. At the time, I was so convinced that if I said anything about it, it was going to affect my future. Let's pretend um, I write an essay and it gets posted Mm -hmm. on medium.com or whatever, and it has my name on it. Now, what if I don't get hired for a job because of that? Or like, what if I don't get into the grad school that I want to go to because they Google me and they see that again with all of these ways that like being honest about this and talking about it and confronting it would be hurtful. um, Yeah. Like hurt me. Yeah. And I kind of talked myself out of it. But what I did allow myself to do was I made a sign that said, I'm not ashamed of my abortion. And I held it while marching in, I think the, 2019 Women's March in New York City. Um, And I remember like being so scared, like (laughs) someone was going to take a picture of me. And then what if, and then my face is on the internet with this thing. And it was by far the most healing thing I had done up until that point. Here, I wanted to ask Jen, what was her body feeling? Could she paint a picture of what it was like to step out at the Women's March? So I was with my then girlfriend, who's now my fiance. She was with me and she helped convince me, I think, when I started to try to back out of it. I was really scared in my body going up the roller coaster. Like, you know, when you're, I don't know if you've ever, you're sitting in that thing and you're leaning back and you're trapped and you're hearing the little like click 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 of the roller coaster car and you're like oh my god how tall is this thing I wish I had never gotten on that's how I was feeling <laughs> it was as if like like but then there's no drop you ah. know um I didn't I didn't face anything I mean I was scared and I think there were a couple of people who I thought were looking at me weird mm-hmm. and maybe they were And maybe I only held it for like 15 minutes. You know, I I don't really know. It felt like forever. But I did get people who like went up to me and said, me neither, because the sign said I'm not ashamed of my abortion. Or people went up to me and said like, thank you. I had one person who did want to take a picture with me. And then she gave me a hug after I cried. (laughs) You know, I... I I had no idea. I really had no idea that like talking about it could be healing like not just for me but for other people too. Like that that me talking about it and other people hearing it or seeing it or bearing witness to that could be healing. You're working on taking your power back. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great that's a really great way to to think or about practicing. it. Practicing. You're practicing taking your power back. 
Yeah. Once I decided to go to law school, it was, you know, because of that same feeling, this idea. Um, I think earlier in this conversation, you mentioned, like, making the pain mean something, like meaning out of out of pain. Um, that I really believe in that. That really drives me, this idea that the pain that I have been through could be useful, could be something that stops other people from experiencing it or, or like brings people together. That's a big part of why I want to be a public interest lawyer. It was the end of last year in 2019, there was the June medical case, an amicus brief that was filed for the Supreme Court by, it was over 300 legal professionals. So attorneys, judges, paralegals, clerks, but it basically said like, we the undersigned have had an abortion. Um, and here are some of our stories and this is how we feel about the issue and blew the doors off of whatever world I was living in. I couldn't believe that there were that many people who would go on the record and say, I had an abortion and who would do that and not be afraid. Or if they were afraid, they did it anyway. There are only a handful of politicians who have ever said, I had an abortion. It's never talked about as a personal issue. It's always talked about as an abstract, as some kind of like political thing or something that other people go through. And so I think there was a lot of fear that well, if I made it a personal thing, for some reason, that would bite me in the butt. So to see all of these people do this, I mean, I remember crying. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, I realized that I could start talking about this for real in a mm-hmm. way that that I didn't have to be cagey about. Um, I didn't have to like try to think of a pseudonym for some kind of like anonymously posted essay. I can just be honest. After that, I I started getting connected to people like Erica Christensen, who's at Patient Forward, and people like Renee and Beth at We Testify, and these organizations that also believe that, like, the truth of what has happened to abortion patients, the truth of what they've been through, that that can make Mm -hmm. a difference. Like, the actual personal stories. I'm really... um, just so glad to have met them. I can't believe I, I didn't know about this sooner. But again, I, I mean, I, I really just didn't engage with the personal side of my abortion for a very long time. I'm so glad that you <laughs> are. And I'm sure it will continue to be work. And what you are doing with it now and finding your true self, that's a gift. And making meaning in the way that you're planning to make meaning, like your story is going to be so powerful because it's creating compassion in that space of lawmaking and legislation. And I'm sure that there, this is such a polarizing debate that we may not have everyone on one side or the other, but the compassion and understanding and connection can we see each other in it? 
so that we can belong and build a bridge versus criminalize or other each other or dehumanize the experience. Because these experiences, when I hear your story or other stories, it's so intimate that I feel almost, well, I feel thankful that you're sharing it, letting me into such an intimate space that it also makes me take a step back and say, should we be allowing ourselves into these intimate spaces because they are intimate? And how dare we judge that space? Thank you for saying that. My fiance says um, to me sometimes, if people actually knew, then maybe they would like approach it different. I think when the government is making a decision or politicians or platforms are making decisions about what a person can or can't do with their pregnancy, it's always going to involve inserting themselves into the intimate details of a person's life. My story is mine. And I try to be really intentional about the way that I tell it because I think everyone has the right to make that decision for themselves. And I don't think anybody has the right to force a decision on them without knowing all of the intimate details about that person. And even then, honestly, no one should force a decision on anyone. When we think about the three spectrums of, you know, 5% of Americans believe that there's no exception for abortion, and then there's those exceptions, and then there's legal with no restrictions. For you personally, how you think about Roe v. Wade today and that that intimacy question, and then how far should should the government go as far as exceptions or legal with no restrictions? Is there anything that from your personal experience or belief that you're sure about? I have a lot of fear about Roe v. Wade. Yeah, just from my experience and from having spoken to other people who have had abortions and in my view of what the government is and isn't for, there's this idea that like the state or the government has a compelling interest in like the potential life uh, of a fetus. Um, But that compelling interest is what allows the state to intervene and say, you can't have an abortion after the period of viability or at whatever point at which like the state's interest kicks in. And then different states are able to define for themselves where that interest is. Sometimes that leads us to like an eight-week abortion ban in Georgia. I think that the government should care more about the lives that it has right now to protect than potential life. Before we even talk about putting restrictions on abortions, we need to think about all of the other issues under the reproductive justice umbrella, which is like, okay, if we're going to force people to give birth, then what do the mortality rates look like for mothers, like maternal mortality rates? What does that look like right now? What are we going to provide for them in terms of like infant care, um, child care? 
What about their health? It's like the government kind of stops being interested in a potential life as soon as it's an actual infant with needs. So we're not creating a system where we're protecting any potential lives. If the government's going to claim that it's interested in what it's interested in a fetus becoming a baby, then it has to be interested in the baby too. So right now it's, I don't feel like it is, um, or at least I don't feel like it demonstrates that interest. And then even removed from that, I, even if we had a, like a, a different kind of government that provided for all of the babies that are born, that it forces to be born. I still don't believe that there should be restrictions. I believe in abortion on demand without apology. I know that that can sound radical when it's phrased that way. And and in some ways it is phrased that way to be radical. Gets to the core of what I believe, which is that nobody has a right to tell me that I should have made a different decision. Because only I and the people around me know, like the people in my life who are privy to the intimate details of my life, know what I'm going through and what I can handle. Whether or not to have a child, even if you're only carrying a pregnancy to term and then like setting up an adoption, still, whether or not to like give birth and have a child, that's an extraordinarily personal decision that has long-lasting consequences on the person who makes it. And for any government to ignore those long-lasting consequences and just make a sleeping deadline is to inflict pain on a lot of people. I then asked Jen if religion ever played a part in her shame or struggle with belonging. Not so much the religion of my immediate family, which is pretty secular. Mm-hmm. But the religion of my extended family certainly does play a role. I, there are a lot of people in my family that I have not talked to anyone in my extended family about my abortion. In, in some cases, that is me, me fearing the role that religion plays. It didn't affect my understanding of like what decision was right for me. Probably because like I, I mean, I had my own division from from my Catholicism shortly after realizing that I'm gay. When it comes to religion too, I think, like I know that that's a very personal, intimate relationship that people can have with their higher power or their spirituality or religion. There's a principle in Jewish law that the preservation of your life overrides any other religious rule. So it says when the life of a specific person is in danger, almost any mitzvah um, of the Torah becomes inapplicable. So this idea that like the laws that God gave in this book and through these teachings, if your life is in danger or your health is in danger, God cares more about your life than he cares about you following the laws that he set forth for you. It's centered around you. Yeah. And 
I think that's how I've really come to think about my abortion too, like, or abortion in general. I understand sensitivity around fetal life. I understand, like, caring about babies. Um, I get that. And, and I could almost be with a pro-life argument till I remember that there's actually another person involved. Like, it's not, it's not just about the baby. You also, it's about the person who's carrying that fetus. Once I remember that too, once you zoom out and you see, you remember that the, the rules and everything that you're putting in place also affects that person who is alive right now and who deserves all of the compassion and concern that you have for the fetus. Like, this person also deserves that. glad that I got to talk to you. Ditto. Next time on Anatomy of Change, I ask Father Thomas where the Catholic Church and community is today from a place at the center of his work and Anne's abortion story. It's it's a loving cry, you might say, to try and to try and help someone from Making that, uh, making that decision to to pursue a, an, an abortion. There were some things I, I heard in the interviews that I said, "Ah, oh, that's just another, that's just another lie." You know, this idea of a, a potential person—it really is not dependent so much on knowing for sure whether there's a soul there or not. What you do is you play it safe. You give the benefit of the doubt. And she's not really a patient because she's not she's not suffering through a pregnancy. Mm. Anatomy of Change is executive produced by Tay Moeller with post-production, editing, and mixing by James Fleegi. Special thanks to We Testify and Jen for sharing her story and also Anne Trumbull for her narrative and editing contributions. The original series music, titled Reborn, was composed by Adrian Berenguer. Additional music featured in this episode by Rosa, Kyle Preston, Savan Talmore, and James Fleegi. Our website, where you can listen to all episodes, featured music, and find companion content, is anatomyofchange.org. The end of the world at the palm of my to hell